Well, hey, Nona Church family, before we get going today, there are three significant things I want to keep on your radar. First, would you join us at our summer kickoff? Our hearts long to see you in person. Come on by today uh, at Wycliffe and let's celebrate together at our summer kickoff parade. We're going to be there and we would love to see and celebrate you. This Wednesday, Stacey and I are going to be hosting our church-wide Zoom call at 8 p.m., where we're going to be laying out our next steps for in-person gatherings and giving an update on the overall health of our church. And one more thing, uh, go ahead right now and hit the share button on this message. Let's impact more people and help them follow Jesus today. Well, today I want to launch a new series that I think is deeply needed, and it's why I'm in my favorite chair in my home. Uh, one of my favorite shows growing up was Mr. Rogers' Neighborhood. In fact, so I know I'm not alone on this one, drop a heart in the comments if you just loved Mr. Rogers. I remember sitting in my living room watching this 30-minute TV show, eyes fixed to the screen as he interacted with different characters like, like King Friday and Mr. and Mrs. McFeely, and of course, Neighbor Aber. Man, did I love those characters. There was something so refreshing about his ease of manner in the midst of my constant consumption of shows like Teenage Mutant Ninja Turtles and Power Rangers and the X-Men. I think, I think it was good for my soul in some ways to see an everyday guy speak to me like, like we were friends. He'd always start his show with his song. And if you remember it, go ahead and sing along with me. It went like this. It's a beautiful day in the neighborhood, a beautiful day for a neighbor. Would you be mine? Could you be mine? Won't you be my neighbor? Would you be mine? Could you be mine? Won't you be my neighbor? Man, in the middle of a fractured society that we find ourselves in, I think we're asking these kinds of questions too. I believe that we want to pursue unity. I believe we want to serve one another and that we want to take on the perspective of someone else. I believe, I believe it's from the bottom of my heart, that you see the chaos in our world and are asking the question, how can I be a part of making this thing better? And here's what's crazy. You can. Jay Pathak, in his book, The Art of Neighboring, writes this. He says, by becoming good neighbors, we become who we're supposed to be. And as a result, our communities become the places that God intended them to be. And isn't that what you want? I mean, that's what I want. I want the places where we work and where we live and play to look as close to what God intended them to be. I mean, imagine for a moment if our church, a church our size, was filled with biblical good neighbors. Imagine if to borrow a cheesy line from State Farm, when difficulty hit our community and our city, people's genuine belief and refrain was, like a good neighbor, known a church is there. I really do believe that the way forward for us, for our city, for our nation and the world is to lean in on the teachings of Jesus. So many of you have reached out to me over the last couple of days saying, hey, where do we go from here? Or how can we take our next step? And so that's what we're gonna do together over the next few weeks in this series, Won't You Be My Neighbor? We're gonna allow God's word to help us become the kind of neighbors we all want to be. So if you have your Bibles, meet me in Luke chapter 10, verse 25 to 37. And as you turn there, I'm going to pray a simple prayer for our time. And would you even consider repeating this prayer after me? It goes like this. Heavenly Father, would you open my heart to feel? Would you open my eyes to see? And would you open my ears to hear you today? In Jesus' name, amen. 
this is what I want to do today. I want to read a little, explain a little, and leave you with a question to consider as we kick off this series. So let's pick up the story in Luke chapter 10, verse 25. On one occasion, an expert in the law stood up to test Jesus. Teacher, he asked, what must I do to inherit eternal life? Now, let's stop here. The lawyer who has stepped up to ask Jesus a question isn't really interested in the answer. The lawyer is testing Jesus. Uh, He would be the kind of person that tries to start a political debate in the comments of your Facebook thread instead of reaching out to Jesus personally. His goal is to try and bait Jesus into a shouting match or a debate. But Jesus, the brilliant teacher that he is, doesn't give him an answer. Instead, he asks him a question. Look at verse 26 with me. What is written in the law? He replied. How do you read it? The lawyer answered, Love the Lord your God with all your heart and with all your soul and with all your strength and with all your mind and love your neighbor as yourself. The lawyer, who's, who's well trained in the teachings of the Old Testament, he quotes the Shema here. It's this well-heralded passage found in De- Deuteronomy chapter 6. And he, he quotes a line from Leviticus 19. This guy, he knows his stuff. So look at Jesus' response in verse 28. It's brilliant. He says, you answered correctly, Jesus replied. Do this and you'll live. And this could have been the end of the story. Now, mind you, to love God with all your heart and with all your soul, strength, and mind, to love your neighbor as yourself, that's not actually humanly possible. No one could ever do that perfectly. So Jesus' comment, do this and you'll live for eternity, it's not a position that he's taking to say that salvation can be found outside of him, but he's saying that all of us are going to need grace to be given to us at some point. Jesus is essentially saying, if you could do this perfectly, lawyer, you can inherit eternal life, but no one has which is kind of why I came. The lawyer wants to know more, though. He wants to know, really, if he's honest, the boundaries of who he's supposed to love. So in verse 29, Luke records, but he wanted to justify himself. So the lawyer asked Jesus, and who is my neighbor? Now, this is the kind of question people who are religious but haven't experienced grace ask. Here the lawyer is asking Jesus a pretty specific question. Jesus, what's the bare minimum? Mental note, a bare minimum mentality in any relationship is usually not motivated by love, but selfishness. I mean, you see this in marriage and parenting, roommate relationships, even the workplace. Nobody likes a bare minimum relationship. And to be honest, I think this is kind of the question that our culture is asking right now. Jesus, who do I need to love? Like, where's the line? Do I need to mourn with my black brothers and sisters about George Floyd? Should I pray for Derek Chauvin and the other officers? Do I need to love them? If COVID-19 isn't affecting me personally, should I care? I mean, should I love our politicians if I don't agree with them? How much love am I supposed to give Jesus, and when can I draw the line? Jesus, what's the bare minimum? And and I get it, because here, what, what no one's talking about. Here's the thing that nobody seems to be honest about. Loving people we already love is exhausting, but loving people we don't like or don't understand, that's almost impossible. Now, what I find interesting about Jesus is that he never answers the question asked by the lawyer. If you're someone who likes straight answers, Jesus would have frustrated you. But in this incredible amount of wisdom that Jesus possesses, he tells a story instead of answering the question. And listen, you may have heard the story that we're about to look at before, but I think today we'll see it in new eyes. So jump back in with me at verse 30. Jesus replies and he said, A man was going down from Jerusalem to Jericho when he was attacked by robbers. They stripped him of his clothes, beat him, and went away, leaving him half dead. Now, a couple of important things to know here. First, Jesus is telling a story, 
but he's using places and people that everyone knows about to create a connection. The journey from Jerusalem to Jericho, it was a steep walk that was about 17 miles long and very treacherous. People knew about it. Jesus may have said in current times, a man was driving down Narcusi at about 5.30. Everyone would have got it. This is a long, dangerous journey. Jesus continues telling the story in verse 31 when he says, a priest happened to be going down the same road. And when he saw the man, he passed by on the other side. So too a Levite, when he came to the place and saw him, passed by on the other side. Now, now at this point in the story, the audience would have tilted their head to the side a little bit. I mean, they would have expected the priest to have stopped. The priest knew the law of loving one's neighbor. Uh, they would have expected the Levite to stop for sure. The Levite was like a JV priest. He helped out at the temple, and having studied the law, he would have known what the law required. Surely one of these two would have stopped. So at this point in the story, people realize that Jesus, he's just not sharing information. No, he's setting up a punchline. There's a gotcha moment that's coming. And this, this is where the story gets interesting. But before we pick up the parable, I want to tell you another story, a story about Fat Freddy. Now, before Mr. Rogers came into our homes as the calm, caring voice with crisp kicks that led us through decades of change in our nation's history, he was known by a different name. That's right, Fat Freddy. And as a kid, Freddy was overweight and taunted by his classmates. He kept to himself and he was really anxious. He lived in fear a lot of the time and he grew up in the midst of significant upheaval in our nation's history. Uh, Fred Rogers' childhood, it was hard and he saw hard things. I love in one interview, reflecting back on his childhood, uh, Fred uh, says something that I think is so poignant for us today. He says, when I was a boy and I would see scary things in the news, my mother would say to me, look for the helpers. You'll always find people who are helping. He goes on to say, to this day, especially in times of disaster, I remember my mother's words and I'm always comforted by realizing that there are still so many helpers, so many caring people in the world. So look at me, look for the helpers. I want you to keep that phrase in mind as you listen to Jesus. Let's pick it back up in verse 33. But a Samaritan, as he traveled, came where the man was, and when he saw him, he took pity on him. The word there for pity could be translated as compassion. Now, now when Jesus makes the Samaritan the hero of the story, his first century audience is appalled. I mean, just like we experience racism here in our country, uh, different people groups around the world experience it too. And the first century was not absolved of the sin of racism. Jesus' first century Israelite audience did not like the Samaritans. And here is why. In 772 BC, a remnant of Jewish people had been left behind in Israel. And they ended up marrying their Assyrian captors. When Israel returns out of captivity back to their homeland, they, they see these biracial Samaritans as problems instead of people. And they excluded them from the community. So as Jesus talks about this Samaritan, there are collective gasps being left out. Uh, there's murmuring in the crowd. And Jesus doesn't stop there. He explains what the Samaritan did to help. So remember, look for the helpers. And pay attention, because I really do believe that in these next verses, we get some really helpful ways on how we can be a good neighbor in this cultural moment. Write these principles down. And in the next three weeks, we're going to dive deeper into how to do each of these well. Number one, helpers or good neighbors step toward pain instead of avoiding it. Look at verse 34. 
So he went to him and bandaged his wounds, pouring on oil and wine. The Samaritan in this story leans into the pain of the man that's injured. He acknowledges that, that this is going to impact himself. His hands are going to be bloody. His, his clothes are going to get muddy. But he does it anyway. Let me ask you this question. Are you stepping to the pain of people around you right now, or are you avoiding it? Now listen, I'm not asking you to go looking for pain. I'm just asking you not to avoid it when you see it. When you see that Facebook post or news article, would you step toward it? When you see pain around you that you don't understand, would you, would you step toward it? Now, this is easier said than done, I will admit. So next week, we're actually going to take a closer look at how to do this in a healthy way with a mental health therapist and counselor. Number two, helpers choose radical hospitality. Jesus shares, and he says in verse 34, then he put the man on his own donkey, brought him to an inn, and took care of him. The imagery here is significant. Well, let me ask you this question. If the injured man is on the donkey, where is the Samaritan? <laughs> well, he's walking whatever is left of their 17-mile journey on foot. And because his donkey is a beast of burden, he's probably carrying whatever was on the donkey on his back. This is radical hospitality defined. It's the willingness to, to, to be inconvenienced for the sake of the one who is in more need. This week, I was so moved by images of people cleaning up after cities had been decimated. I was inspired by the conversations my friends are having about pausing their life to slow down and to learn about things they haven't understood before about our nation's history, to get proximity where they used to have distance. Let me ask you this. Are you willing, are you willing to be inconvenienced so you can carry another's burden? Are you living a life of radical hospitality? Number three, helpers do for one what they wish they could do for everyone. Look at verse 35. The next day, he took out two denarii and gave them to the innkeeper. Look after him, the Samaritan said, and when I return, I will reimburse you for any extra expense you may have. Now this, this was a generous and risky decision by the Samaritan. I mean, he, he really didn't know the man who was injured. He didn't know his drinking or his eating habits. I mean, wasn't it enough to, to just give him a Band-Aid, give him a ride and drop him off at the motel? Was the bare minimum enough for him? No. Now, before you write this off as just a story that Jesus is telling, I want you to know that Jesus is intentional about everything he does. This teaching is here for a reason. The Samaritan man wasn't doing this for everyone at the end. He was doing it for the one that God put in his path. You know, there are times when I get overwhelmed by the need in our world, and it feels impossible, doesn't it, to make a dent of a difference when you see all that's going on. But when I feel this way, I'm reminded of the words of Andy Stanley. They really do comfort me. And maybe they'll be helpful to you in this moment. He says, do for one what you wish you could do for everyone. Look, you may not be able to help everyone in the world, but what would it look like if you chose to help someone in your world? So, uh, so after this story is being told, Jesus asks a question in verse 36. Which of these three do you think was a neighbor to the man who fell into the hands of the robbers? Now, now notice something here. Jesus asks a different question than the one the lawyer asked. The lawyer wanted to know, well, who's my neighbor, Jesus? But for Jesus, who is my neighbor is a silly question. It's a, it's a wasted time. For Jesus, your neighbor is your neighbor. Your neighbor is anyone who comes into your path. It's every black, white, Latinx, Asian, Democrat, Republican, rich, poor, married, single, divorced. You fill in the blank person you meet. It's your boss you can't stand. It's your in-law who drives you nuts. 
It's your Uber Eats delivery guy. Your neighbor is anyone God puts in your path. Instead, Jesus asks an even more piercing question, a tougher question, a question that gets us out of our theology and into our bodies, a question that messes with our worldview and our narratives, a question that is at the heart of what it means to follow Jesus. And it's the question I want you to consider today. Are you a good neighbor? Are you a good neighbor? Are you avoiding pain or are you stepping toward it in your relationships right now? Are you practicing radical hospitality and carrying the burdens of others, even if it's inconvenient? Are doing for one what you can't do for everyone? Or have you just thrown in the towel? The text ends in this verse. The expert of the law replied, well, the one who had mercy on him. And then in verse 37, Jesus tells him, go and do likewise. Go and do likewise. See, when he was a kid, Fred Rogers was taught to look for the helpers. But we're not scared kids anymore. It's time for us to be the helpers. It's time for us to step toward pain. It's time for us to practice radical hospitality. It's time for us to do for one what we wish we could do for everyone. And when it gets hard, let's remember that Jesus is simply asking us to do what he's already done for us. That when he saw us bruised and broken, he stepped toward us in our pain. That he has practiced radical hospitality by making a way for us and carrying our burdens on the cross. And that he's done for one what he could do for everyone and would do for everyone that would believe in him. Giving us salvation and eternal life through his death, burial, and resurrection on the cross. So Nona Church, what would it look like if in the midst of all of the chaos around us, we became the good neighbors. We became the people in our community who people could look to and see as a beacon of hope, of joy, and of unity. This is what our world needs. And you, you and I, we were made for this moment. So over the next couple of weeks, won't you be my neighbor? Let me pray for us. Father, we need your help. God, we need to know how to enter into the difficult situations of the people around us. We need to learn how to carry one another's burdens and practice radical hospitality. God, we need your help, but we're thankful. We're thankful that you have not left us alone to figure this out, but God, you have given us Jesus to be our model and our example. So Father, in the midst of the craziness around us, would we be these people in this time? We love you and we bless you. In Jesus' name, amen. Nona Church, we love you and we can't wait to see you soon.